Um, my name is Jeff Melnick. I'm from Futera. Um, it's lovely to see you all here. It's lovely to be at Sustainable Brands. Um, we are going to talk about creating a deeper connection to source. It is not sponsored by Illy, um, but Illy will be one of our speakers today. I've got Anna from Illy, I've got Stuart from Rainforest Alliance, and I've got Tessa from Fairphone. So it's an action-packed panel. I'm sure you have loads of questions for them. I'm going to ask each of them to speak for about eight minutes or so. I'm going to do my best uh, Dimbleby and ask them a couple of questions. Um, we'll go down the line, and then it's all up to you guys. I want to leave as much time for questions as possible. So, um, but just a little bit to uh, opening remarks, as, as I might do. Um, I really think the brands are about relationships. I haven't really talked a lot about that at this conference. We've been talking about um, meaning. We've been talking about purpose, and that's really, really important. And as the great guru Simon Sinek says, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. But of course, that what is still really, really important. Um, and the what often relates in our space to supply chain or the source of where our goods and services come from. Um, but every brand is looking to deepen that relationship that they have with their customer, their prosumer, or their client, or their what did we have this morning, citizen, um, and I think that finding that deep core of the relationship often comes from really being able to tell powerful stories about where your products come from, and, and Tessa teed us up beautifully on that this morning with Fairphone. Um, and I'm, I'm really not a supply chain expert, but um, as a brand expert, um, I know how important this is, but I'm also a deep lover of coffee, so it's amazing to have another coffee brand come in and tell their story today, and Stuart here from Rainforest Alliance as well. Um, I've also helped to support Mondelez on Coffee Made Happy, and I know from my trips out with them to visit Origins to see really where coffee comes from, how powerful and important it is for us to understand the source of where products come from and how important it might be for us to be able to tell that story to the people that love our products so much. Um, so I'm very excited uh, to find out more from these guys about how they've found deep ways to connect their consumer to their brand. Um, I'd love to hear stuff about what are the areas of focus that they think are so important right now in the areas of supply chain. And also, are you changing minds or are you trying to change the whole system? What's the purpose behind what you do? So without any further ado, Anna, I'd love to invite you to take the podium, and I will trust that the IT works because I also am not an expert in that. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. So good afternoon, and thank you to Sustainable Brands for having me here. So I work for Illy, that is a coffee company. I don't do the same as my colleague from uh, Starbucks this morning asking if the, in, the, in the room there was somebody not knowing <laughs> what was uh, Starbucks. I don't do this with Illy because I don't want to be disappointed. <laughs> so. <laughs> so just a few words about, uh, about the company. Uh, Illy is a family-owned company. It's based in Trieste, where uh, it was uh, founded in, uh, in, uh, in the 30s by the grandfather of the present chairman and, and uh, CEO. Family-owned company, 100%, so probably what we are going to say about our approach uh, to sustainability uh, now is mainly due to the fact that sustainability is really rooted, deep and rooted in the values uh, of, of, of the family, of the Illy family since uh, the very beginning. 
We have more or less 1,000 employees, 6 million cups of Illy coffee more or less served per day in more than 140 countries. We are a small company, but still we are uh, an international, an international uh, one. Andrea Illy likes to define the company and, and his father before and his grandfather before. I mean, maybe the, the, the wording was different because at that time uh, nobody was speaking about uh, uh, stakeholders. But now what Andrea Illy likes to say is that we are a stakeholder company. And the aim of this company is to improve the quality of life of all the stakeholders, all the communities we get in touch with. It's not by chance that uh, the shareholders of the company are at the very bottom of the of the pyramid, they are at the service of the company, not vice versa, and really the, uh, the, our stakeholders are uh, um, very important to us, and, and what we do is really to try to create value and share this value with, uh, with all, uh, all of them, starting with the consumer, then the clients that are uh, the people who sell the product to our Consumers, the talents, meaning uh, the employees uh, of the company at a uh, global uh, level. Our suppliers, of course, uh, that are uh, mainly the coffee growing, gro growers uh, in the coffee growing countries that are probably uh, the weakest uh, ring of, of, of the chain. And, and I'm going to tackle exactly this uh, point. I'm not talking about sustainability in general, but what we do with uh, the coffee growers. And then, of course, all the communities we are into. For instance, the community of Trieste, where we live and where we do a lot of uh, uh, activities in order to be uh, really a corporate citizen. Everything starts for us from quality. As I said before, sustainability is deeply rooted in the values of the company. And for us, quality and sustainability are really linked. A product cannot be good if it's not sustainable and, and, and vice versa. We strive for quality. We try to sell the best possible coffee in the world. Of course, uh, it's up to you to judge, not, not to me. But I mean, uh, what we do is really try day after day to offer the market the best possible, uh, the best possible coffee. Everything started with, uh, with uh, the dream of the founder that said in the 30s, I want to deliver to the world the best possible coffee. So that's why we have just one blend, just one product. The only coffee you drink in London is the same you drink uh, all over all over the world, at home and, 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 and in the coffee bars. And in order to have a very good product, you need to have a strong relationship, a really direct relationship with the growers. Otherwise, you cannot have... Uh, the raw material of the highest possible quality that you need to, to, to prepare a wonderful blend. So basically, at the beginning of uh, the 90s, we realized that this direct relationship was, was key to us. So we started, we, we cut completely every uh, uh, supplier that was not a direct coffee grower, uh, no middlemen, no stock exchange, nothing, just direct relationship with the growers. And we do it in four different steps. The first one is to select the best possible growers. We do it in different ways. For instance, in Brazil, where we source more or less the 50% of our uh, coffee, we set up a price for the growers uh, more than 20 years uh, ago, at the very beginning of, of everything. We ask the grower, year after year, to submit uh, the samples of their best production. We have two juries, one in Brazil and one in Trieste, that uh, check the, 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 the products, and the, the first 
50 uh, growers, so the best 50 growers, they receive a money prize, and the first three a big money prize. Uh, all of them can sell their uh, product to, to us if they want, and we pay always uh, more or less the 30% more than the uh, official price. Why? Because we say that quality must be recognized. The second step, once we have on board the, the best possible growers, which are independent growers so they can sell the product to uh, whoever they, they want, of course, we transfer knowledge to them. We have a university of coffee that is based in Trieste, but that has uh, uh, many seats around the world, both in the consuming countries where we teach to the consumers and, and to the baristas and to the hospitality in general, and in the coffee growing countries. In the coffee growing countries, they teach to the uh, coffee growers. Uh, for instance, in, in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, we have a seat of the university that is uh, set up uh, together with uh, the University of uh, Sao Paulo. Uh, what we teach to the growers, the best possible agricultural practices, we work with them uh, on field. We have our own uh, uh, agronomists that go and work directly with, uh, with the growers. And uh, after that, Third step, we buy once the quality is there, so only if the quality is there, as I said before, quality for us is key, is crucial, is the only, is the main, not the only, but the main driver, we buy the coffee directly from their ends. The fact of having uh, our uh, agronomists that work directly with them means that we have also the opportunity to check how they act, the growers, in, in their coffee plantation if they exploit, uh, for instance, uh, child labor, if they pay properly or not uh, uh, their personnel, uh, etc. So it means that we also, when we are there, we can also check all these aspects and also check and teach them, for instance, how to treat uh, uh, the water uh, after uh, having used it, it for, for treating the coffee after the crop, how to reduce uh, the water they use, uh, which are the best practices uh, with, uh, with, uh, with the chemicals, etc., in order to reduce uh, all, all this. This ap approach has been uh, certified. Uh, why certification? So it was one of the, the topics that I was uh, asked to, to tackle. Um, around 10 years ago, we realized that uh, it was not enough, uh, speaking also about communication, to tell the story. So what we were doing uh, with the growers in the coffee plantation and the way we, we source our coffee. Our consumer and also our clients started to ask us to be certified. So to have a third, uh, third party that could endorse and say, yes, uh, what, what Illy says is, uh, is true. Uh, we scouted around in order to find a, a certification model, a certification scheme that could be uh, good for us. So a certification that could, uh, a scheme that could certify our way of uh, interacting with the growers. Uh, there were no, uh, at that time at least, certification available. So we asked to that Norske Veritas, the NV, the certification body with whom we had already at that time and now as well other certification, the quality one, the environmental one, to set up a new certification. 
A new certification that, that was not and is not only for ILLI, so it's not also referential, is a certification that uh, certifies the uh, sustainability of the company, 360 degrees, with a specific uh, focus on the, uh, on the supply chain and the, the relationship uh, with the suppliers. This certification is uh, uh, organized into two different uh, uh, protocols. So the first one is, as I said before, is about the company. So it's about uh, uh, reviewing risk related to the business ethics, environmental risk, risk related to the personnel, social risk, etc. And once the company is certified as a whole uh, sustainable, they go to the coffee growers and check specifically the way we act with them and the day actually they act inside uh, their, their coffee uh, plantation. Uh, we got this certification the first time in 2011 and we continue to, to work on that. It's very important. We publish the, the logo and the, and the, and the uh, description of this certification on all our packaging. There is a specific part on the website, etc. So we really trust a lot this certification. We, we find it very uh, useful also from a business perspective. And so we trust it a lot and we continue working on, on that. Uh, some uh, of the results uh, we got uh, from uh, 2010 until last year due to this uh, certification. So 1,200 growers visited, 100 of the suppliers already and 50% once and 50 visited twice, 800 visits done by our technicians, 900 hours of training of the sustainable green coffee production. So this is, was done by the University of Coffee and 2,500 participants to this kind of training all over the countries. We source our coffee from more or less uh, 14 countries around the world. In, in Central America, Asia, South America, these are the main areas we source our coffee from. Some of the results we got through the certification and the fact that we uh, uh, not only teach but also uh, give every year indication about the best possible practices, uh, economical ones. And so, for instance, in India, uh, it grows a lot the number of uh, growers that reduced the amount of water used to treat the cherries of coffee under uh, the crop. In Brazil, you can see that there was an improving of number of uh, um, growers applying these best uh, practices. And in Costa Rica, we handle a program about biodiversity asking our growers to uh, mix the, the coffee plants with other endemic plants. And many of them, as you can see, uh, started to do and apply this program. Some of uh, the advantages for the growers long-term relations, of course, because of what we try to do, I, I, I skipped a, a, a step before, is to build up a, a real community of these growers, making them uh, become, I mean, exchanging their experience, not only inside the same country, but also amongst different countries. Uh, quality, of course, uh, uh, grows and growing quality. They can sell the, the same coffee they sell to Illy also to our competitors and, and of course, uh, with uh, the, the, the same uh, uh, premium price. 
and coffee decommodization. For instance, in Brazil, coffee was considered just a commodity until we started this program I described to you before. Now, for instance, areas like Minas Gerais are considered worldwide for the quality of their coffee, which was not like that uh, until the 80s. Of course, sustainable coffee culture, which now is a value also in the coffee-growing countries because many of our growers are certified fair trade, Rainforest Alliance, etc. So um, this uh, means something also in the coffee-growing countries. And of course, uh, the improving of the quality of life of the coffee communities. As we said before, sustainability is about improving the quality of life of the people. Um, reaching the end, uh, for the consumers, of course, uh, benefits as well, meaning that they can consume a, a sustainable uh, product. There is product safety linked to the trashability. Our product is 100% trashable due to the fact that we have this direct relationship. Of course, uh, we take care of human rights and environmental uh, respect, transparency. The very last topic is about communication. So how uh, we communicate this, we are still trying to improve. I, I, I say immediately that uh, communica communication is mainly uh, at corporate level, level so far. We have uh, a value report online. You can go and see it on our, uh, on our website. Uh, we do a lot of communication through social media. Uh, we, of course, communicate a lot this certification also because it's kind of new standard because, and so we need to communicate it. But what we need more and more is to communicate this to the consumers with a more uh, marketing, let's say, or consumer-friendly uh, language. We are trying, we are starting a, a program on that. We are at the very beginning. Uh, a good tool we have are the uh, Sebastiao Salgados, the photographer, pictures that he took and is taking actually for us in all the coffee-growing countries we source our, uh, our coffee from. Uh, that's it, <laughs> more or less. And then if you have any question, I will be happy Great. to yeah, we'll, answer. Great, yeah, we'll come back to the questions for you, Anna, in a second. But I just have one question for yes. you. The word that really jumped out for me there throughout your presentation really was quality. Um, and, and sometimes I don't think the link is really made between the quality of, of what's made and then the consumer's perception of quality. And, and what, what, in what ways have you tried to draw that direct link between this really great, grown, sustainably sourced coffee and, and the Illy brand of coffee that, that comes in the cup? So what we try to do is to uh, deliver to the world what we call the coffee culture. Okay. According, according to Illy. So we work a lot. It's, it's, it's a sort of missionary job that we have. We, we work a lot to teach the people how to taste coffee, how to understand that coffee, like wine, like the best possible wines, has a lot of different flavors, aspects, etc. So it is not just about entering a coffee shop, drink a, a shot of caffeine and, and go out, but it's really a pleasure, a mental pleasure. So, for instance, that's why in our communication we do a lot in contemporary art and we don't do any sport or these kind of things because we think that our coffee is a coffee linked to culture, linked to art, linked to meditation in a way. So we prefer to work with young artists from the coffee-growing countries, for instance, instead of doing... Uh, 
other kind of, of communication. But it's a, it's a hard job. I mean, I, yeah. I agree with you. So to, to let people understand, for instance, and I say that and then stop, the, the idea of having the artist cup, 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 uh, coffee cup, I don't know if you know this project that we have, but anyway, we work with more or less 70 very important contemporary artists and they design our cups. But the beginning of this idea was to give the consumers, at least in the coffee bars in Italy, the opportunity to say, wow, this cup, this, this cup is different, and so pay attention to what was inside the cup. The idea was to add beauty to the goodness of, uh, to the goodness of coffee. I love that. So, d so you're doing culture change, never mind system change. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, Stuart, if I could ask you to... <laughs> Tell us about the frog. <laughs> okay. Thanks very much. Um, and uh, obviously the graveyard shift, so I'm, I hope going to manage to keep your attention for at least the next sort of eight minutes. Um, I'm going to look at the question really, uh, um, Jeff, um, really through a communications lens rather than a sort of a sustainable supply chains lens per se. I think because if I unpack the sustainable supply chain side, I think I'd just be repeating the excellent presentation that Anna gave. So let's look at it from a communications point of view. Um, but before I do, in case there's anybody in the room who doesn't really know who we are and, and, as the Rainforest Alliance, um, many people will see us as um, a certification organization, particularly in agricultural certification products from, the, from particularly the tropical rainforest. So whether that's um, tea, coffee, coca, bananas, citrus, increasingly spices, things like that. And you'll recognize the Green Frog Seal, which is, which is you know, pretty popular, certainly here in the UK and elsewhere around the world. Pretty high prompted recognition. Most people, most people recognize it because it's on some of the big brands, whether that's McDonald's Coffee, Costa Coffee, Galaxy for Mars, um, you know, PG Tips. It's there. Um, but actually, certification for us is one tool amongst many. And we do a lot more than just certify agricultural products, very important as that is. So as well as agriculture, we're also the biggest um, non-profit certifier to Forestry Stewardship Council standards of forests around the world, and that's not just tropical rainforests, but that's boreal rainforests, temperate rainforests as well that you'll find. Uh, we also have a large program in tourism where we verify um, tourism lodges in, in environmentally and ecologically sensitive parts of the world. That doesn't mean we verify ecotourism necessarily. It's any tourism operation that has an impact upon the rainforest. We help and support those tourism operations, and that's with a particular focus on Latin America. And increasingly, we're also having to work in climate change, and climate change has been a big issue, and really that has two aspects. One, which was mentioned uh, by Starbucks indeed this morning, uh, where they talked about the problems and the issues around impact of climate change in coffee-growing communities and in coffee-growing regions. And let me assure you, those impacts are real, and they are happening now. Um, I mean, particularly in the Arabica crop, but we've had problems with coffee rust in, in Latin America this year, which is linked to climate change, changes in rainfall patterns. There's a whole myriad of problems. So helping coffee farmers to adapt to this changing environment is a hugely important program. But over and above that, there's also opportunities for diversification for coffee farmers within that. So things like the Red Plus uh, initiative and opportunities. How We're looking at how can farmers and coffee farmers around the world begin to gain income and advantage from things like carbon sequestration and carbon storage within their farms. So that's another area that we work in. So as the Rainforest Alliance, we're more than just the seal on the pack, although that is a hugely important thing and a hugely important driver for us. Um, 
So let's look at how we're connecting um, sort of this source to, con particularly say to consumers um, and to um, maybe sort of broader audiences here in the, in the developed world. Because many of the products they're consuming, many of the products we're involved with are not really local products. They're far away, they're distant, they're out of sight a lot of the time. So we want to connect up those, um, those, those consumers. And there's really two ways of doing it. And the first is we didn't... I wouldn't say we had an epiphany moment, but we certainly went through a change recently. I, for my sins, have been in the sustainability movement since 1991. I was very much, and I'm old enough to have been motivated by the original Brundtland Report and Our Common Future and that whole basic initial concept of sustainability. Um, and for years in doing that, we've spent all our time, and I particularly worked in the environment movement and in the environmental campaigning organisations, and we spent all our time producing these documentary-type, guilt-written, hectoring-type communication products and videos, and then sitting there thinking, why isn't that working? Why don't people get it, sort of thing? But the real reason is because, you know, since when has guilt and hectoring been a motivator for change and a motivator for connection? So we, we saw it in the Rainforest Arts, and we took a risk a couple of years ago in the Rainforest Arts with our How Not to Save the Rainforest video, um, to change the way we did communications and to look more at storytelling. And that's why I've put up this quote, really, from Philip Pullman, because stories are hugely important, and being able to tell that story is massively important. Um, not only because, in a way, um, it communicates so much more than dry facts and figures, um, but it often resonates much more with people. It creates realities within people's minds. It often opens up truths and connections that they maybe didn't even realise and know that they had. And it certainly does that far more effectively to audiences than dry facts and figures and things like that. So it's often the stories behind the facts and figures that really bring these things to life. And we're continuing to do that. And one of the most recent products that we've, we've sort of developed and launched or, or things was... Um, and, and at this moment in time, I have to say that in any good presentation, you always need a reveal. And this was going to be my reveal <laughs> moment. And then I have to say, they did it in the plenary. <laughs> so it's going to be a re-reveal moment, um, if I can get this right. Um, so I'm going to show you this short video, which you may have seen before. <laughs> Um, but I'd also like to, and I'll tell you a little bit about the video after we've had a look at it. But before I do, this is a video we've produced with our friends Ben and the Nice and Serious team, uh, who are great producers if ever you want to get a video, good video producer. Um, and we really embarked on seeking to tell a story with this video. So I've got to do control P, haven't I? Let me tell you the story behind the video while we're getting the technology yeah. worked out. The video is about Adrian. Adrian is a cocoa farmer in Côte d'Ivoire, has been a cocoa farmer all his life. And we wanted to tell his story because we wanted to show that really he was very much a guy like, well, a person like we are. You know, very much a person like we are. Is it ready to go? Be control P now. Be control P now. <laughs> so very much a person like we are. Same emotions, same thoughts and feelings, same priorities in life, you know, and a real person who we could connect with. So this was the story of Adrian, and we, we played down the facts and the figures and the sort of the broad work that we're doing in terms of helping him become a better farmer, and we brought up his story and what he did. So this now is Adrian's story.
Dios viene a Paul Cruz. ¿Qué va? Quand il serait grand, il va être planté comme mon papa. Donc actuellement ici, planté comme mon papa. Merci. Au revoir. T'es le plus beau gosse du village. Mm -hmm. Ah ouais, tu l'as pris, tu l'as pris. La première des choses, André m'a dit, bon, je t'aime, je vais t'épouser. Elle n'est pas trop hésitée, c'est ça, depuis 12 ans ensemble. Tu fais jeune, tu mets de la crème sur la peau. Mais c'est pas moi, c'est Dieu, mais tu as mis ça, c'est Dieu, tu as fait ça. Tu as combien d'enfants Zéro. Zéro Ouais. Ah, c'est pas présentable, hein? C'est pas, pas présentable. J'aime le football. Adrien, il n'est pas trop géant, il est court. C'est un homme assidu. Il respecte, il fait pas parlable. Intelligent. Il veut encore vivre au coin du maillot. Et puis il est courageux. Il s'amuse avec les enfants. Il fait tout pour nous. Donc dans mon champ, mes arbres que je plante, on ne coupe pas. Pour protéger mes cacaoyers, pour protéger l'environnement, pour protéger le territoire. Cacao est bien pour, pour ma famille. Ça change la vie de, de la planteur. Quand je pense, je regarde ce que j'ai fait, j'aime ma vie. And let me tell you something else about Adrian as well. Adrian has been a cocoa farmer all his life, but he's never seen chocolate. So we're bringing him to London in December, and we're going to show him what happens to his beans and how they come from being cocoa beans that he's growing in rural Côte d'Ivoire to becoming that bar of chocolate that you've just been given for free out there in the foyer today. Um, and while we're here, we're hoping to sort of get some media for Adrian and help him to tell his story to a much wider audience. So that's Adrian. Um, and that's his story. And now it's shift. Shift F5. But it's not just video that we've been using to connect. This is another sort of connection mechanism that we developed with Tetley T. This is a Facebook page called Farmer First Hand, uh, which we think has been really quite a successful piece of connecting communication. This is over 103,000 likes um, on it, and it is really a Facebook page that Tetley and ourselves set up where we wanted to take a group of tea farmers initially in Malawi and then a further group of rooibos farmers in South Africa through the certification process, and we wanted them to tell their story to the consumers of Tetley Tea. So we set up this Facebook page. We equipped the farmers with satellite phone connections and things so that they could post directly to this Facebook page, and then the tea drinkers in the world, the Tetley tea drinkers in the world, could communicate with them and talk to them. And this has been a really powerful connecting piece of communication, I think, for us. And it isn't just about talking to them again about certification and what they have to do. What is really lovely about this Facebook page, and I'd recommend you all to go and have a look at it, is actually most of the conversations are the same conversations that everybody else is having on Facebook. So whether that's them talking about the football match they've gone to on Sunday or their son's results at school or 
what were the two posts I read today? Uh, big bit of celebration because the rains have finally come, or somebody's looking to get a dog because the cat keeps eating their chickens, so you know, they're hopefully going to get a dog. You know, these, these everyday conversations that help people to really make those connections, to see that at the end of that supply chain are people and farmers who have those same aspirations as you or I have. And that is a really powerful piece of communication, I think. Um, then the other thing we try and do is through our own communications. I've already mentioned the Follow the Frog video, or many of you may have seen it, How Not to Save the Rainforest, which we took a risk on that, but we, you know, we, we tried to use humour we try to make it accessible. We try to make it easy for people to both relate to um, and people to then take action um, through or action as a result of seeing it. One and a half million hits on uh, on YouTube so far, and I'll give you a you know I'll give you a comparative figure. Our average sort of you know for those boring documentary videos that I talk about, our average hit is about six to ten thousand. That's one and a half million. So for us it was a pretty successful piece of communication, and it continues to resonate. It was set up for a, for a particular purpose, but it continues to resonate sort of two years later as, as an opportunity for us to talk about our issues. Um, the other was an American, a U.S. campaign we run called Seal Your Cup, which was about trying to connect people very similar to what Ely were doing and others where we're working with people like Nescafe and Nespresso, um, around connecting people back to coffee and its coffee origins and the beauty and the culture and the love that people have for, um, for coffee. So those are, the, those are other two. And then we're looking to use other communication platforms. Again, none of this is rocket science, um, but it's just using them and using them in a creative way. So our frog blogs around the world are a creative way of really seeking to have conversations with people. Websites are great but they're not really places for conversations. But social media and blogging is great places for conversations. So, for example, put your hands up if you knew that today was World Toilet Day. Oh, well, well done. Well done. You plugged into so, the zeitgeist. For us, yes. <laughs> so for us, um, we use that as an opportunity to talk about the work we do in the field, um, you may think it might be related to the standard of the communications. It isn't. Um, to talk about the work we do in the field um, and to connect people around, you know, an everyday unthinking act, dare I say here, is a significant change when we're bringing in benefits to people in the field. So those are the sorts of um, changes that we're making. But I think it was um, Denise, Denise Turner yesterday talked about... Um, Brands need to be a story doer as well as a storyteller. And that is a really important sort of takeout that I've certainly had from this conference. And it's certainly something that we, uh, we've been internalizing and taking on board within the Rainforest Alliance. And I'll tell you for why, and I'll share an, honesty, an honest truth with you. If there's been one criticism, I think, of certification, in, certainly in recent years, it's that we talk a good game, we make good announcements, but we haven't always been able to back that up with the evidence and the data to show the impact. That's not just the Rainforest Delights, that's all certification. So a lot of our focus is now also shifting in communication terms in supporting this emotional connecting storytelling with that underpinning of the hard data, the hard facts, the hard science, the hard impacts. Um, so we don't that isn't 
gone away, it's really important to us. And if you can imagine a continuum sort of from emotion to, you know, the objective data, then depending on who we communicate will depend on where we fall on that continuum. So that's there. And we now have a team of um, 12 um, sort of monitoring and evaluation um, experts uh, in the Rainforest Alliance, and we're commissioning a whole series of independent studies as well. Um, and we're being as transparent about that as we possibly can. So we have a whole section on our website which talks about our impacts and talks about the work that we're doing. Um, so there is that, that sort of underpinning, that foundation of evidence and facts and figures that it isn't just Adrian that's benefiting. Adrian is a leading example of the hundreds of thousands of coffee farmers, tea farmers, cocoa farmers around the world. 90% of them, over 90% of them, smallholder farmers who are benefiting from the work that we're doing with them, and therefore as consumers that buying into this, being part of that movement, is benefiting them too. Thank you. Um, just a quick question on that one. I mean, would the Adri film about Adrian have benefited from that hard data? How do you see yourself using, or Rainforest Alliance using that data in everyday consumer uh, comms because I don't think the video would necessarily needed me to have any more information to get the impact that I needed. I think it's how we're linking that data to other communications that we do. Okay. So if people, and I think somebody, I can't remember where it was, but somebody said today that the journey is not a linear one in finding out more. So people will jump around. So it's supporting that with stories and evidence on our blogs, yeah. on our website and things like that. And also, and, and ben, ben would be able to confirm, but it's also not the only film in the series with Adrian that okay. we're doing. We're also making other films that are more going to be more focused on stakeholder and the industry. So that's going to have more of that sort of data and facts and figures in it because that's a product and a communications channel that will work for those okay. people. This one was much more... Let's, you know, let's grab you emotionally yeah. and, then, and then get a message across. Great. Okay, thank you, Stuart. Okay. Tessa, the vortex of time has swallowed me, so you don't have very much. I'm, um, uh, I'm going to keep it short because <laughs> okay. I know you want to get into a discussion, <laughs> and I had a chance this uh, morning to talk a little bit about Fairphone. Um, so a deeper connection to the source. I think it's important to note when it comes to electronics that we are not a, a, you know, a single commodity like coffee or um, bananas or cocoa beans in that sense, but that the phone is an incredibly complex um, supply chains of like millions or thousands of components that come together. So when we talk about connecting to the source, are we talking about what in your phone actually makes it vibrate, you know, or what makes it possible for it to be thinner? Um, we can talk about tin and tantalum, but I think what the deeper connection to the source is actually humanizing where these materials come from. So I briefly touched this morning upon the um, situation in the DRC and the conflict that is there, but I think that it's also important to look at the where our uh, um, devices are manufactured and who assembles them and the, and the conditions in the factory. So I think that by humanizing and creating relationships essentially with the people that are at the source of your products, you start knowing and understanding more and that can connect you to your product. Um, but more importantly, it makes you part of a, a longer chain. You aren't the end of a chain because your phone, when you're done with it, goes somewhere else. And where do the components that are in your phone go at, at that point? So um, <clears throat> again, Fairphone started raising awareness about uh, these issues behind the production. Um, and even though that was the beginning, it's still very much an integral part of who we are. 
it's a, there's an educational side on, on Fairphone's part, uh, materials manufacturing design. But the, the change element has come now that we've actually decided that we needed to make that phone. So by making that phone and understanding how these systems work, you need to be in that system to actually start making decisions based on different values. Um, so not only has it making this phone allowed us to continue the storytelling in a more day-to-day -day, uh, uh, way because we're opening up these we're, we're experiencing things on a, on a day-to-day -day basis, and I'll tell you a little bit more about how we do it. But we make it possible for consumers, essentially, to connect the dots and learn more about the social and environmental impact. And by doing that, start a bigger movement of people that want to change things. But it's also become a way for us to build sorry, relationships with suppliers and to look at our purchasing practices and to see whether compliance models are actually working and whether an us versus them approach is actually uh, what, what, what kind of consequences that has. So using FAIR as a dialogue rather than an end point, I think, is what we're trying to do. So to give you just a few examples from a consumer point of view and maybe suppliers and how we want to work with suppliers in the future is that if we take the tin and the tantalum that is in our phone that we've been able to trace back to the mines, um, we, we show pictures about this and we, start, we blog on our, uh, on our site about what the, what the issues are at the mine. We know that they are conflict-free certified mines, but we also know that there is probably child labor in this supply chain. So by talking about the different issues and saying that this is a step-by-step -step approach that people can follow on our blog, we are making it transparent for the consumer. Um, we've, and by working with suppliers, I think where we have a criteria on which we'd like to work with them is, for example, the fact that we want only conflict-free materials in our phone but that we also want to stay in regions where there is conflict so that when we start sourcing from these regions, we can actually put the money back into the economy and work on problems like child labor that are more systemic. Um, and if you, another example, I'll keep it brief, but is from, a, from the factory point of view, is for, from a supplier perspective, um, we've chosen a factory where he did decide to stay in China, again, because we feel a lot of the issues that are um, involved with assembly and manufacturing are in, these, in, in a country like China. But our choice for a manufacturer is based on the fact that we wanted to find somebody who shared our values and who, from whom we expect a similar level of transparency that we would like to give. So we work with them on trying to... Um, for example, publish a list of suppliers and maybe talk to their suppliers so that on a tear-down basis we can start making an overview of what is in this phone and where it comes from. We have set up a fund with this factory to see whether we can work together on more systemic issues like overtime and low wages, start paying a fair wage. They've actually put 50% of, of, of the fund, of the money that's going into the fund, so there's a premium on every phone that goes into the fund and the factory matches this amount. And again, people can read about that and follow this story on our blog and, and on our social media channels. So it's, it's confronting the issues head on and not being afraid to talk about what is going on and that it's a step-by-step -step approach. I wanted to show you a video of our pop-up space, but that was another way where we used the prototype for people to actually come to a shop and to start with, to 
to look at an exhibition on what the issues are behind uh, supply chain management and the production and to invite people who are doing workshops, for example, the Restart Project on how to fix your phones or open design boot camps on how we can make operating systems more accessible to developers, etc. So it's a, it's, it's many ways, it's, a, it's, a, it's still a very much an educational um, uh, process. So I guess there's a takeaway, there's a two things, is that we'd like to involve the customer and to connect to the source through transparency and make that a continuous, whether it's always the best results or just a process. And the other one is with businesses work with suppliers based on creating value, so mutual gain and respect. Um, and that's our approach to start changing systems. On the, on the bit about involving um, the consumer, no, you can sit. Yeah, please do. Um, it's quite, buying something can be quite passive. I mean, you're making a choice. You're voting with your wallet, aren't you? But, but how else can a consumer get involved with a fair phone? Because a phone is about an experience these days. It's not just about making phone calls. I mean, I live my life through my device now. Is there other ways that you guys have been thinking that you might want to extend the experience? Well, I think initially, I think for this, um, for, our, for our crowdfunding campaign, it was very difficult because we, we besides our, our company, we have a foundation and we do give workshops and, you know, people would be able to donate, for example. But I think for our initial crowdfunding campaign, it was a difficult decision that we didn't want to start competing with a way for people to actually make it possible for, for us to take the next step. Yeah. But we are thinking toward the future um, more on how we can create a platform for discussion and to have a forum and that people can actually participate more. I think yeah. that is going forward. Um, people come up to us and ask us all kinds of things, how they can help us, you know, whether it's translating the website so that, you know, people in Italy can hear about our story or uh, in, in, in Brazil or something. But So people are coming up with lots of ways that they would like to help, yeah. and we need to start creating a platform for them to so actually well. engage. Yeah. yeah, great, great. Good work. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, one of you lovely people must have a question then. Who wants to go first? So the problem was that at that time, when we started the process, it was around 2005, there was no possibility with the existing certification to certify not the growers, directly the growers, but the way we deal with the growers. So the idea was uh, we, we choose the, the, the growers we want to work with because quality for us is a key, uh, as, I t as I told before. So we cannot choose a, a grower just for the sake of the fact that he is certified by a certification body. So we ask, uh, at that time we were dealing with fair trade, and we ask fair trade, can you please certify, not, the, I mean, of course, go ahead with your program with the growers, but certify the way we deal with the growers, but it was not possible. And so that, that's why we, 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 we did that. We wanted to have the burden. I, I didn't underline that before. We wanted to have the burden, not to put the burden of the certification on the, on the shoulder of the growers. So we are paying for the certification, not, not the growers. And I guess, I mean, it, it is a recognized institution or yes, company yes, that, that, yes. that certifies you. It's not that you created your own label, exactly, per se. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And it is on the packaging. It is on the packaging, and, yes. And does the consumer, have you had any feedback? Do consumers spot it? Do they care? Do they know what it is? Uh, more, uh, so far, uh, is, uh, is more, the, the concern is more on the um, la side of the clients. 
so meaning the big uh, um, supermarket chains, the hotels, uh, etc. So now more and more they need, they, they want, they chose to, to buy products only if they are certified. And so it's more there. But that's why we try to speak and to explain more to, 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 the, to the consumers as well. So that's, I mean, I, I think that the problem for the three of us is reach more and more the consumers and tell the story, do, do, do some storytelling for them. And at least for us, it's now key and it's part of my job being also the director of, of, of communication in the company. Thank you. And chap here, friend. I think, well, first of all, it would be great, I think, uh, uh, if, <laughs> if everybody does that. Um, I think it's a, it's a good question because I think one of the, the, the things that we can do being small and being close to the supply chain and having a personal relationship with, these, uh, uh, with our suppliers is something that is much harder for bigger brands. Um, but I think if, if you take, for example, a, a, a <clears throat> sorry, something like gold, for example. There is fair trade gold out there, and I think most of it is used in jewelry, but it's not used in electronics because I think electronics, the, the amount of gold used in electronics is so minimal that it's not considered as a viable or it's just not been done yet. So suppliers aren't using fair trade gold, but if we could show that it actually is quite a simple step to do that and to start using it, then you can scale certain things up more easily than others. So I, so it is, a, it is a challenge for, I think, some of the things, but I think there are a lot of um, uh, victories, I think, you know, small things that you can achieve just by showing that it can be done. But do you have a culture of competition at Fairphone? Like, like you said, anyone can come along and do this now. You've made it quite transparent. You're, you know, you've almost created thought leadership around your, what you're doing. Um, is your ambition to be as big as Apple one day in the market, but do the, it the Fairphone way? Right. Uh, no, I don't, I, that, isn't, that isn't the ambition. I think no. there isn't a, a, a feeling of competition. I think that's not of our generation anymore. I think it's not a transactional economy. It's a collaborative economy. I think that if we can, we're, you know, these, these externalities that we're talking about, social and environmental, it's not about competition anymore. I think it's so cross-border. We all have to team up to see whether we can make a change. So I don't think that that's our initiative at this point. I think you see with people who are buying the product that they might on Twitter say, should I get a Geeks phone or a Fair phone? You know, those are the people. So, you know, there's different reasons why consumers are uh, disappointed, and that could be from an open operating system point of view or whether it's human, you know, working conditions. But I don't think that, um, that we're not in competition with the brands. I think that it would be great to actually work together great, to see great. whether we can change Good. things. Right. Is there one behind there? Yeah.
That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Where do we start? Um, Are brands doing enough? Still only about 10% of the world's supply of coffee is under any certification scheme, including private certification schemes, such as the cafe scheme from people like Starbucks and Ely's scheme. So that means that 90% of it isn't. So there's a lot of work still to be done. Some of those brands will go down a certification route. We've heard from Kenko today. We've got Costa Coffee here. Starbucks is fair trade in the UK. Some of them won't. Like Ely have, have, have got their system. If you look at the biggest coffee buyer in the world, which is Nescafe, they aren't going down a certification on label scheme, but we are working very closely with them through their Nescafe coffee plan uh, and the Nescafe better farming practices, where they are looking to follow similar models. Coffee Made Happy is another example from Mondelez, where it may not be appropriate that an independent certification scheme is right for all markets or all conditions, um, but they are making major and serious commitments. Now, whether that's enough of driving particularly financial value down the supply chain, I think is a moot point and, a, and a probably a whole conference worth of discussions to have. Um, but I, would, I, I certainly think their commitments need to be recognised. You know, Nescafe have ambitions in literally the hundreds of thousands of farmers that they want to put through their Nescafe plan, and they're developing through Nescafe Connect direct relationships with a growing percentage of their farmers around the world. So they're not... More and more, I think, companies partly from a sustainability, partly from a risk management point of view, are moving away, particularly the bigger coffees, and following the Ely-type model, which is away from the just going to a market and buying from the market and making those direct connections with farmers. And that can only be a good thing, and that can be something, I think, that, that can bring other opportunities down the road. But it is still, although for us with the industry, feel like we've been at it a long time, it is still early days, really, for many of these big brands. Yeah, absolutely. We have um, our certification and the certification in agriculture isn't actually our standard. We, we from the beginning, we, 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 we set the standard independently. It's set by an organisation called the Sustainable Agricultural Network, um, which we are part of, but there are many others. And that is based upon a continuous improvement process. So every four or five years... The Sustainable Agriculture Network, through a massive global sort of consultation process worldwide, involving a range of stakeholders from farmers and producer groups themselves to agronomists to academics to the businesses who are using our seal to to campaigning groups such as Greenpeace who are involved and others, do a major review of that standard. So currently, the, the Sustainable Agricultural Standard of which farms are certified to was a standard that was published in July 2010. 
We are now in the process of majorly reviewing that standard and we'll have a new standard probably by end of 2014, beginning of 2015. And then all farms and all brands who are currently working under the scheme have a year in which to achieve any of the new standards. And that allows us to pick up and to evolve the standard on major issues. So, for example, when we set the standard in 2010, issues that you've touched on, Tessa, such as living wage um, and things like that, were not as big a focus as they clearly are today. And there's a clear need that although standards define the need to pay minimum wages, in many countries and many jurisdictions, that minimum wage is not enough. So we're now looking at... How do you devolve and evolve that standard to, embed, to embody the living wage concept within that standard? Now, that's a challenge because there's no global definition of how you even calculate a living wage. But we are able to do that. So it's not a, it's not a you know, the standard was set years ago and that's it. It is a, that continuous improvement process that's embedded within it. Final question. Hi. Yeah, maybe each of you can come down and say that, uh, you know, it costs more to I be fair, it costs more to be ethical. How does the consumer connect to that? Well, I don't think our phone costs more in the sense that what it can do is pretty, it's pretty uh, competitive in price for, for what's uh, the, the quality of the phone. Um, and I don't know what more is in a sense that I can't see into the kitchen of everybody's brands and how they spend their money, but for us it doesn't cost that much more at this point with the choices that we make and basing it on social values. Um, we don't have big marketing budgets, to be honest, that might actually save, save money on, on actually how much our product costs, because we are very much a grassroots and, uh, well, luckily free publicity, you know, at this point. So um, I don't know how everybody calculates their costs, but I don't think that making choices based on different values needs to cost more. Stuart, does, does Rainforest Alliance always cost more? Not always. I'm going to be overtly political now. <laughs> so I probably need to stress I'm probably speaking in a personal capacity yeah. rather than in the Rainforest Alliance. First of all, I would say Rainforest Alliance doesn't, doesn't set a premium. We do not say that, that farmers have to be paid a premium for a Rainforest Alliance product. Now, at the moment, there's a high demand for Rainforest Alliance products. So the, uh, the simple supply and demand curve means that there is a premium on Rainforest Alliance products, and that's it. But does it cost more? Well, in agriculture, yes, it does. It costs more to produce. Uh, therefore, the, and, the, and so therefore, there's usually an attempt to get a higher price in the market. But this is where I'm going to get overtly political. It doesn't have to cost more. We need to change the economic and political system that means it costs more. It should cost less. 
But the reality is that when you go through a certification system, you inevitably end up having to internalize some of those externalities, some of those external costs we require to be brought into the system. So whether that's waste management issues, water management issues, you know, those sorts of things. Most non-sustainable things, they're all externalized. So we're paying the price, we're just not paying it through our... Through, through our actual purchase. We're paying it in many other ways. And that's the bit of the system that really does need to change in some way. And perhaps, picking up on the point in, in the last plenary session, perhaps that's the big cause that, that big brands and other brands need to get on, which is, you know, price the bad guys, don't price the good guys. Sort of thing. I feel like you got all Milton Friedman on us oh. for a minute there. <laughs> Sorry. Anna, surely a cup of Illy coffee should cost more because it's so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Illy coffee costs more, and we uh, explain this uh, all the day, <laughs> and, and, and we explain this to all our stakeholders, starting from the point that through this premium that everybody is paying, I mean, uh, we... Uh, uh, this is value that goes back to the beginning of the chain, to the growers, etc. For instance, when we deal with our clients, the baristas, we explain to them, and it's proved. <laughs> we have uh, really uh, files of proof that uh, if they sell our coffee, they increase the business of their, the, the cups that they sell are more. Uh, our coffee is 100% Arabica. Yes, there are many 100% Arabicas on the market, but this is, these are very special Arabicas with standards that are not even... Uh, the, 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 the growers, they like to joke, saying that uh, the Illy coffee does not exist because with our standards are way uh, up the market. And so, yes, it's, it's our challenge day after day to explain why it costs more, but there is a value there that must be recognized. And so it's, our again, our challenge to explain why. So I guess it's that price versus value piece that comes down to it. It would be interesting to, to know what you're paying for. We, we publish actually a cost breakdown of the Fairphone, which you can download yeah. off the site and see what our business case essentially is spread through, through a phone. Yeah. Um, because I think it's interesting that, you know, I don't know what part of the more where it comes from. Yeah. So actually making that transparent to the consumer yeah. might be yeah. interesting. Good. Wait, All so right. Thank well, thank you very much, guys. Um, just five l rules that I've picked up from today and key learnings. Number one, actually, there was one before, is, is that it's World Toilet Day. That's not one of my rules. <laughs> but you can tweet these five ones uh, violently now. Uh, build a culture of pleasure and beauty. Um, or a movement like Fairphone is doing. Number two, uh, connect with real stories and real people like Adrian we saw in the farmers uh, firsthand or even the humanizing of the Fairphone story, uh, really important. Number three, uh, made with love, which we saw at the end of the Nice and Serious video, but I think goes really well with the whole concept of quality as well, uh, being a deep connection. Um, number four, uh, data shows impact, but find a place for it. Don't put it in the middle of an emotional story necessarily. Uh, and number five, find ways to involve and start conversations. That's all from us. Um, thank you very much. And thank you to these lovely people. Well done, guys.